HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by two very special guests. First off, we have Daniel Zafrin, who is a Los Angeles comedian and podcaster. He and a couple of others have a podcast called the Candy is Dandy podcast, which is the world's only candy history and candy review podcast. And then second up, we have Katie Melody, who is a food editor and video producer at The Feed Feed. And she also happens to be a total food history nerd. And for myself, I am obsessed with candy. So I am very excited that we have a candy themed episode today. And I'm so excited to talk to both of you about candy and history and all of the above. (laughs) Woohoo! Yay! Um, let's start with Daniel. So, tell me about the podcast. How did this come about? Candy is dandy is obviously a cute name, cute concept. What is? How did this come about? Uh, well, so me and one of the other hosts, Greg Gonzalez, we've been doing a Los Angeles history podcast for. Uh, it's coming up on ten years now that we've been doing it, but. During, um, during, uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of during the, I mean, I've always, of course, been obsessed with candy and sugar. (laughs) Uh, but during, at one point during the whole pandemic, I wanted to, cause our history, our LA history podcast is pretty specific to a certain group of people who enjoy Los Angeles history. And I kind of wanted to do something a little more, uh, with broad appeal and also, uh, you know, 
I it, it's candy is one of my passions, so I thought it would be a good and his. You know, we we do, we cover so much history. It just made sense to also give history along with reviews of candy. Amazing. Well, so you mentioned that you've always that you're obsessed with sugar, and that's funny you say that because this is one of my favorite stories about myself personally that my dad always tells me is that when we were when I was a baby and my parents would take me to diners or delis or wherever they would catch me like gnawing on the sugar packets and of course you know I'm almost 30 so this is back in the early 90s where there you know it was just pretty much like sweet and low and equal and I'm just like gnawing on whatever that crap is like saccharin I don't even know what the actual like <laughs> substance is just gnawing on sugar packets so and I was a baby and I've always been obsessed with sugar ever since so that is incredible that you've kind of turned your love of candy and sweet things into something so productive because I cannot say the same for myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, productive is a generous term, but it it it's definitely, I think Greg has been describing it as like the culmination of my life, of what I've been working towards, well, being able amazing. to eat, his, eat candy hey, on air. <laughs> honestly, living the dream, genuinely. <laughs> Truly. And Katie, tell us, so we know you're a total food history nerd. How did that happen? It just kind of, you've always been into yeah. that and then here you are, or <laughs> was there like a moment for you? Um, I think, so uh, Daniel, Alexa knows this, but I'm also a screenwriter and I focus a lot on like um, a lot of period piece stuff, a lot of um, historically themed content, specifically within the Tudor era and like the British royal family and stuff like that. So I honestly got into food history because my grandma is a history teacher and she got me just like so interested in it because she talks about history like the way Wendy Williams talks about gossip. <laughs> like she's very like and I'm friends with a lot of her former students and, you know, they'll, they'll tell me, they'll be like, she talks about Napoleon. Like he's the biggest scandal of the world. Like it's, Oh my so, God. She's like, like spilling tea about like things spilling, that happened yeah, 300 years really, ago. She really is spilling tea. And then, so anyway, so my grandma, like every time I come home, she gives me like four new history books. And one of them was by this author named Lucy Worsley, who I'm obsessed with. And like, Everyone should check out her documentaries on YouTube. They're phenomenal. Um, and she she has a very like holistic approach to history. So she'll um her every documentary she does, it'll be like she'll do one on the tutors, but she'll have like like home decor historians and like uh like working class specific era historians and food historians. And she so that was kind of like the gateway drug for me of learning about food history is because she's her work has introduced me to such a wide variety of them. And it's it's kind of fun. Like my my favorite thing from one of her documentaries was when she showed how they made like Christmas candy during the Tudor era. And what? like so and like granted, like this is before like so this is like the late 1400s, early 1500s, where there's mm -hmm. like sugar isn't widely available at all for anyone and she shows in her um i think it's called like christmas at hampton court or something how like servants for like the 12 days before christmas their job would just be to like 
roll one candy around in a bowl of like hot honey for like hours and hours all day just to make like one piece of candy. Do you think it was any good? I mean, I think it's one of those things where like you would eat it and know how hard someone worked on it and just be like, okay, like I think we wouldn't think it's good because we're access to the world of like free sugar. But I think back then it was probably like huge treat because like other than that, like the only candy you were really getting was, I mean, not even candy, the only sweet stuff you were really getting was like fruit. And even then, like, Um, you really only got a ton of fresh fruit if you were, like, living on a farm or were in the upper class. Right. Okay. And I also – I also got into historical cooking because of – do you guys follow Chef Darren McGrady? No. Okay. So he was Princess Diana's personal chef, and he he has a YouTube channel where he talks all about, like, what he would cook for the queen, what it was like to cook for the queen, what it was like to cook for Prince Philip and Prince Charles and Diana. And and like, um, he talks a lot about how he kind of like held Diana's hand during the harder years of her eating disorder. Um, He just released a video like a week ago where he's making spaghetti bolognese and talking about how he wishes um, William and Harry were still friends. (laughs) And it's, it's, he's, he's such a sweetie pie. Like, I think he's just like, he is able to it's it's like food history but it's also like a primary source because he was there and he lived it and like they're his recipes so that's kind of how i got into all of it um wow yeah well <laughs> i'm surprised i never knew that about you about your grandma being a history teacher i mean that definitely explains a lot if i'm being honest mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's all coming together so we got a little bit of a taste of what candy history is sort of all about just by Katie describing, you know, the poor children of the Tudor era mixing caramel or whatever. But Daniel, in your podcast, when you like launch into candy history, what is that? How give us a spark notes of what that even entails? Does that kind of start from when does what eras does that begin? I'm when I think of candy history, I probably think of like, I don't know, the 50s where there was like really old school, like, vintage candies that we think of now but i'm sure there's so much more to it so what does that kind of entail for you daniel it, well so each episode we you know me or, or greg or beto we pick we you know we each pick the candy for that episode so you we only do the research you know i only do the research for the ones i pick but a lot of because i tend to go with sort of name brand things because it's kind of hard to do a general history of like we did peach rings in one of the episodes and there's mm-hmm. not like the article on how a peach ring came to be but most of you know like snickers and a lot of stuff tend to tended to have been created in like the 20 like the 1920s it felt like mm-hmm. like a yeah. lot of the the big american candies huh well, so basically you're doing more kind of household names and what their evolution was throughout time? So far, yeah. I mean, we've done, like, we did peach rings, which kind of led me down a whole rabbit hole of, like, you know, thou- however many thousands of years ago and mochi was created. And it, like, Ooh. slowly led into, you know, like, mochi kind of mixed with, like, Turkish delight sort of thing, which is also really old and then like over the years becoming like gummy candies in England and then 
I don't know where, but somehow someone made it into a peach ring. So that that one was kind of broad. But then, you know, I think the most recent candy we might have done has been like Sour Patch Kids, which was in the 1980s, I think it came out. Wow. I'm a big fan of like the pectin-based candies, though all candies. And I think I would always fight with my siblings, you know, on Halloween, you know, growing up. That was my, that was, Halloween was my Super Bowl. And having that variety of things to choose from is just like, I, I absolutely live for it. And this is sort of an irrelevant tangent, but yes, I, those seem like phenomenal candies to be talking about. I'm a big fan and, um, yeah, I'm just definitely in the mood for candy. And then do you find Daniel that you have an audience that is, as obsessed with candy as you are or is it just that you know hey people are interested in the history of things or all of the above i guess i think it's i think it's more i mean because we we got a lot of people uh who've kind of followed us from our old our not our old but our other podcast so those people were you know partially inclined just to listening to us and also just like hearing history but i think a lot of the people because we always it feels bad sometimes when we like we did an episode on flake bars. Cadbury oh my gosh! Flake bars. Yes. Oh, see, this is what I'm talking about because now <laughs> I'm about to say that we weren't really huge fans of it, but that's how oh, everyone. No, flakes reacted. aren't that good. No, flakes aren't that good. Crunchies are the best. I haven't had that. That isn't oh my gosh. that. Uh, flakes is like that cold. Australian? Is that no? It's UK. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got flake one time specifically because their commercials are like so beautiful. And no, no, no. It's just such a bummer of a candy bar. No, flakes are disgusting. They're literally yeah, disgusting. But every but like we have, you know, international listeners who are like, oh my God, you're gonna love this. And then we because that's another like I came in with butterfingers hyping it up to everybody, like, I think this is my favorite candy bar. And then we tried them and it was embarrassing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Have you yeah, guys done like, take five bars? No, not yet. Oh. Those are pretty good, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so Flake bar, Flake and Crunchies are both UK, and the only reason I know of them is because my, my mom was born in London, and her family, her parents and everything, they all immigrated here from London. And so when they would go back, they would bring those candy bars for us, like as their grandkids and whatnot. And yeah, Crunchies are the absolute best. It's just a milk chocolate-covered honeycomb. And... Mm-hmm. Oh my God, they're so good. But yeah, they would bring kind of like a Cadbury variety pack and the flakes are just so bad. It's like eating dust. It's <laughs> really dusty. It's we, we decided it's kind of like solidified hot chocolate powder. <laughs> yeah, just a bit, a, a tad bit. So Katie, what are some of your favorite candies if you had to choose? Oh, oh gosh. Um, man. It's like choosing I, a favorite child. I know. Well, and it's also, it's like, depends on the mood. Um, <laughs> depends on I, the vibe. I'm a good Chicago girl. I am a Fannie Mae um, chocolates person at heart. Oh, like the ones they would sell at schools? Yes. yes. <laughs> they used to have a, so they're kind of, they're kind of like C's, um, uh, but it's okay. based in Chicago. And I would say their best one is they're called Trinidad's. Um, they might not still be called that, but that's what they were called when I was a kid. And it's basically like a hazelnut chocolate filling wrapped around by like a white chocolate with macadamia nuts. Mm. And it's so good. And they're also really big on mint meltways. But like 
they used to have these peanut butter filled chocolate teddy bears when I was Whoa. a kid. They were Alexa. It's like the creamiest, dreamiest peanut butter filling you've ever had. And <laughs> they just discontinued them out of nowhere, oh. like when I was in middle school. So, um, but if I had to pick a favorite, like name brand candy, um, I think I'm like, I'm a big peanut butter M&M's girl. Really? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not loyal to many in the candy world, but like peanut butter M&M's and blue raspberry Jolly Ranchers are like my two. Mm, yeah. Pretty elite. So <laughs> yeah. Daniel, have you decided like or discovered a new favorite since you've been doing the reviews by chance? I mean, my favorite of all time is probably Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or Peanut Classic Peanut M&M's, not Peanut Butter, Peanut oh, M&M's. Oh, okay. But mm. I've kind of like been saving those because that feels like that should be something special. Like that should be a special episode, a very special <laughs> episode of Candy like and Dandy. Like the extended history of M&M's because it's yeah. still going on to this day. Of- I know. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I've... I, I know that I have found candies that I really don't like or don't hate as much as I thought I did from the show. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah, broadening candy horizons. Um, Daniel, yeah. You've been following the trend on TikTok that's called, like, things that would send a Victorian child into a coma. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay, well, it's a video where people just name things that are like so modern and weird that it would send a Victorian child into a coma. And, Literally. And it like and no one has said warheads yet. And oh. I'm like, warheads would shiver their timbers. Like it would freak them out. Whole, and it freaks me out every time I have one. But oh my gosh. Even okay, does this happen to both of you when you think about warheads, your mouth starts salivating? Oh, yeah, that's like I all al- I always get sores in my mouth. Yes, you're like preemptively preparing for the burn. Like <laughs> literally, my taste buds would be like falling off afterwards. Like I'd have to like scrape off dead taste buds because, and all right. of those candies from like the early '90s when you know I was coming of age, and I was like I said, such a little sugar addict that I would just like I'd be at in the grocery store line with my dad or at blockbuster with my mom or whatever and i'd always be begging for like those candies in the front and they'd be like no that's literally disgusting like those tubes of just like slime yeah just, like, those, like sour slime, slime. Oh. yeah yeah and we were obsessed with that stuff in the 90s and now looking back it's like that shit was disgusting like what yeah. were we <laughs> thinking like uh, yeah. it's making I me think- hungry just describe <laughs> it. tubes of slime but- i think it also has to do with like for us 90s babies, like, I think we were alive during the time period where, like, sugar and candy were so cheap to produce that, like, you kind of see this emergence of, like, gag candy mm-hmm. where you're not eating it for the enjoyment. You're eating it because it's, like, a dare or, like, a challenge or, like, you know, something on the playground to do. Um, but, like, then you look back to, like, like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the 90s is, like, when they were like, okay, you've had delicious candies now. <laughs> Here's a flavored jelly bean. <laughs> yeah, literally. So that's actually interesting. Is there, Katie, is there like a historical 
reason behind? I mean, if I was guessing just as someone with no expertise on the matter, that kind of resurgence of those kind of gross things like purple ketchup and slime candy tubes, I feel like it was because Nickelodeon was so popular and, you know, slime time and all that stuff. Like, why was that? Why were we eating these things? Well, and also, um, speaking of purple ketchup, like, I remember, like, Shrek had, like, a bunch of themed ketchups and stuff like that. And I think part of it is just, like, at that time in history, it was America was like super capitalized and, you know, more commodified than ever. And I think, I think brands were just kind of okay with being like, all right, let's try this out. Yeah. It's not like in like, you know, like the forties where it's like, no, 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 just make the candies that, like, people want because, like, all the machine power has to go to the war front. Like, mm. it's kind of in a period where, like, the economy was sort of good and, like, they were churning out millions of candies every day no matter what. So why not throw in some crazy sour ones or some crazy weird ones? Um, That's yeah, I like point. I it's It's kind of funny because, like, when you look at, like, the history of, like, not even candy but just, like, pastries or, like, I would personally call them, like, pleasure foods like Mm -hmm. foods that you're eating just because they're delicious it's really like it always has to do for me looking at it with like how like how much like the industrial revolution kind of had a point to play in all of that obviously because like before that it's I don't know. I also might be like a little muddled right now because I'm rewatching Downton Abbey right now. And it's like, you know what I mean? Because I keep being like, but in Yorkshire, they were doing this. And like, oh my um, gosh. I think, I think it always, I think the history of candy very much has to do with like, it went from being something that was like just for u- uber rich people and royalty. And like, if you weren't super royal or super rich, it was something that you tried like maybe once in your life mm-hmm. or like, you know, once or twice. But um, I think that's kind of like I did. You guys ever watch Truth or Scare? No. Oh. oh. <laughs> okay. Rest in peace, Discovery Kids TV. It was the greatest TV channel of the early two thousands. And wow, they had this show called Gone Truth but or Never Scare. Forgotten. Gone but not forgotten. They had a show. They had an episode where they talked all about the history of Halloween, and they talked about how um part of the treat given the trick-or-treat history of Halloween is because like way 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 back in like ancient Britain and Ireland they would have um like you would have to put a cake outside your window so that like you know a goblin wouldn't come or like a oh my god a haunted spirit it was basically like a way of like keeping ghosts away by offering them treats and then we that's how we ended up with trick-or-treat today Oh, okay. I kind of loved, and like in the episode, they like made the little like cakes, which like basically looked like Irish soda bread to me. But um, yeah. So I I don't know. It's like the history of candy is so interesting because it's like you hit the industrial revolution, and like there's the Victorian era candies, which I think we're kind of seeing a resurgence of on TikTok right now. Victorian candies? Uh, yeah. Like um, I don't. It might just be my TikTok for you page, but I follow <laughs> a lot of those like hard candy like making um candy canes and like little humbugs and like little peppermints from scratch and they're all like historical themed shops that like have added the candy element as like a it's like a dinner and a show element because you're watching them like pull the toffee and all that stuff i think this is unique to your 
TikTok <laughs> my TikTok algorithm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm my getting TikTok this. TikTok knows experience. what I want to see. Yeah, yeah. They're giving the people what they want. <laughs> yeah. My TikTok shows me how to leave cakes out for goblins. Literally. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Those goblins will get you. (laughs) When you least expect it, just they got to keep you on your toes for sure. And then Daniel, for you, is there a like favorite historical fact that you've come across or like something that you like, what's your number one, like go to like party, like conversation starter. If someone's like, yeah, tell me about your podcast. What's like the coolest thing that you've learned as it pertains to candy history? Well, I wish people asked me more about my podcast, but the uh, one that I always kind of go to is that it's to go back to Butterfingers because they used to, because Butterfinger was made by the same people who did, um, ba- is it Baby Ruth? Baby yes. Ruth. Yes. And they would do these like airdrops of, they would just like f- fly over a city and dump a bunch of Baby Ruth and Butterfingers all over people. <laughs> And that was okay. like that was like their publicity thing. But the thing I that for some reason is stuck in my head is that like some kid because this was like the twenties or thirties, and some mm-hmm. kid got a chance to like ride along on one of those, and that kid grew up to be the pilot who dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. <gasps> Shut! Oh my god! <laughs> and it was so upsetting to learn oh, that started from baby ruth now you've got mass murder like oh I my really, yeah, yeah. i was really hoping you were gonna say like and he grew up to invent this candy no like, he oh, no, no. <laughs> oh my okay that's a really good one i i hope you be i'm i hope you're able to bring that up at a party one day soon because that's a I good know. one <laughs> that's like a very good topic of party conversation <laughs> Oh my gosh. And Katie, do you have like a favorite historical fact as it pertains to candy? I'm sure you're chock full well, of them. I have one that's a food themed one, but it's it it pertains because we are very close to Valentine's Day. Yes. Um, red velvet cake's a scam and it was invented by a food dye company. And like the second I learned that, I was like, I don't have to pretend to like this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> let's just like cut the shit. Red velvet is not that good. Well, also, when you look at red velvet from a, like, they, so it was a recipe, and the New York Times um, talked about this in their recipe for red velvet cake, which is, like, one of the most beautiful red velvet cake videos I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, in it, they're being, like, the blah, blah, blah company developed this recipe to sell more red dye, and it worked. That puts. But, like, for me, I'm looking at it, like, like, people who are red velvet cake people should be looked at the same way that, like, us blue raspberry candy people are looked at, (laughs) like, shame and concern. Yeah. Because you're having a cake that has half the amount of chocolate of a chocolate cake, and it has a tiny bit of buttermilk, and, like, that's it. That's your flavoring. And it doesn't have a lot going on. It's all visual, no depth, and, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it's, it's, for me, it's, like, the Jessica Simpson of cakes because I'm just, like, Oh, my God. I don't know why people are a fan of you because they should I totally agree. I mean, I've always felt that way a red vet a way about red velvet. It's definitely like a silly gimmick in my mind and I am glad to hear that there's actually a reason behind why I believe it's not very good, but yeah, it's just no flavor. It's just plain cake that happens to be red. It's no flavor and then the flavors that you have often cancel each other out. Right. That's the real drama. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's 
I have the most viewed red velvet adjacent video on Facebook right now. Oh my gosh. And it was one that I made with my old job. But the reason it came out delicious was because we made a red velvet cheesecake. Oh, and that made okay. up for all the nonsense. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess if there's a way to actually make it flavorful, sure. Or give it or some just, more depth. Or just have chocolate cake. Yes. Help yourself. Have chocolate. Have fun, fatty. Do something nice. <laughs> yeah. By all means. By all means. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So, Daniel, with the podcast, what, I guess, do you have in mind moving forward are there kind of any sneak peeks you can give us on candies that are on the docket? Are you going to maybe like venture into more candies from other countries or what are some big picture things happening? Yeah, I, I we we just uh, yesterday, as of this recording, um, released for Valentine's Day, our sweethearts, you know, the oh boy, the conversation, which was another one where I was like, you, you guys, this is some great stuff. And then we ate it and I had to skulk out of the room in shame. Oh, boy. But we're, we got uh, Ghirardelli Squares coming up in a few weeks. Oh, we love Ghirardelli Squares. Those were that's really quality. good. Yeah, that's really good yeah. stuff. And um, yeah, because we have, you know, I, I, I want to try to do more uh, international things because I feel bad because like we tell people like, go oh, buy one of these, uh, you know, mm-hmm. before you listen to it and eat it with us. But like people in like Australia and stuff like that are they, they can't they're not finding um, a look bar or something like that. So I'm trying okay. to do like I, I plan on doing some Japanese stuff in, a, you know, next month or so. Fun. Cool. Yeah. How Very are the fun. conversation hearts? Like, tell us about that. The, you know, like with so many things I that have changed their recipes, it's... I always liked Conversation Hearts growing up because I liked that weird chalkiness and they kind of changed the recipe because so many people hated the chalkiness and made them kind of like a little, they're still really chalky, but like a little (laughs) chewier and it kind of ruined it for me. I mean, I don't think those have ever actually been good. If we're being honest, no, I, well, think, you, well. I think you like them because you're have you're at school. Yeah, and you're like I can eat candy at school. Woohoo! Literally. Yeah, yeah the banana, the wintergreen ones are still not bad. Those have always been my favorite okay. ones, but it is just like a mint. 
Yeah. And have either of you, this is a random little tangent, but I have a very good friend who is like very incredibly French, like born and raised, lived there their whole life. And his um, mom sent me a bunch of French candies. So like there, it's like a lot of Haribo, but like the full French versions. And I got to tell you, the flavor of those candies is leaps and bounds better than any pectin based candy that i've had here in the u.s like the it's almost like me and my sis my sisters were eating them and we were like it's like that willy wonka thing it's like it tastes like snozberries like it actually tastes like the the way you think candy should be and i don't know what they've done in their recipe i don't know if it's just more real sugar and less corn syrup i have no idea but i don't know if either of you had a chance to try any like pure french candies but they're incredible have either of you dabbled by chance i haven't but france has a lot of laws around food and food production and so do a lot of countries in um europe and i know um what's it called uh there's a lot of preservatives and stuff that are normal to us that are just like straight up outlawed um especially in like france and australia and italy um, so they probably taste better because you probably got more fruit in it, I would guess. Mm, maybe. What do you think, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I, I know that, um, f- for Cadbury things, at least like it, when they're sold in America, they're made by Hershey. So all of our British mm-hmm. people have said like, make sure to go to a place and look on the back and make sure it says like made in ireland or whatever rather than hershey a hershey logo on the back and that's the better stuff the the iron or the you know cadbury from the uk stuff is the better stuff but to defend american flavors Mm -hmm. (laughs) jelly belly okay they can recreate any flavor imaginable and i don't know how they do it <laughs> that's a really good point point. and one of my favorite i love jelly bellies and one of my favorite things to do is like play a game with someone where they give you a jelly belly and you have to kind of like guess yeah. what the flavor is and that it's it's remarkable what they've done the technology is really something else we because at the end of each episode we play like a different candy game and one of them we did was uh we got they have the jelly belly like spicy chili ones okay and there were five of them from like sriracha to uh carolina reaper oh and they were so sp- one uh, one of us threw up after eating the Are Carolina Reaper. Yeah, he had to run out of the room and throw up because it was so spicy. Like it, it oh, I don't know so, how like, concentrated too. I don't know. Yeah, they actually have like pureed chili peppers in it, and it tastes like when you eat the sriracha one. Like it tastes like you had a spoonful of you know the green top sriracha sauce. Good lord, it, it's crazy. Well, I guess Jelly Belly's onto something for sure, <laughs> and they're doing some crazy. I mean, obviously, we're not talking about like the Bean Boozled ones, which are yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how they do that. I don't know who's like this. Doesn't quite taste like a wet sock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the vomit flavor is not quite coming through as I would like. <laughs> and where do they get their like? Who's uh, yeah, behind palette is judging these flavors in the development process. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Have you done 
any like weird stuff like that, Daniel, besides the spicy jelly beans? We've got show? we've got a box of those that we are going to do eventually, but the idea of it is so disgusting. Like I've had yeah. those sorts of things like a long time ago and I'm sure they've only perfected it and made it even more disgusting, but like it's I don't know who this is for. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, it seems like one of those like gross 90s things that we're talking about, but it just like never really died per se. But, you guys ever do any like discontinued candies? No, we, uh, I don't know why I keep bringing it back to Butterfinger, but in that episode, (laughs) I guess I still love it, even though it was a disappointment. But in that episode, I don't know if you remember Butterfinger BBs. Yes. Yes. Um, I because you know the problem with a butterfinger is how it gets stuck in your teeth so much. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But the butterfinger BBs were like the perfect form of butterfinger because it wouldn't really get stuck in your teeth. It was like just the right size, and I wish those still existed. But but I don't know how to get out get you know, I in the in the dump where all of those old ET games have been thrown. I don't know like <laughs> where you find these discontinued candies. That I was just wondering that, yeah. Like, where, Katie? Do you have you ever known where to get access to any I, stuff like that? I'm like, let me tell you about my black market candy connection. <laughs> yes, please. Well, um, I you have a guy. I I've seen stuff on like eBay, but like uh, the stuff you're seeing on eBay is like old, very expired. But I just know that when you bug a brand enough about something that's nostalgic for people, they eventually cave in. Yeah. Which is why I am still fighting for Cheetos X's and O's to be brought back. Oh. Yeah. And we got we got close because Cheetos paws were close and then they got rid of Cheetos paws. So I'm still out here fighting for my X's and O's. Um, I forgot about the X's and O's. They were uh, it was the perfect middle ground between Cheetos A puff, puff and regular Cheetos. Yes. It was just like perfection. And, and, uh, like not to bring it back to the weirdly colored food of the nineties, but they had Cheetos X's and O's that like turned your tongue green or blue or whatever um have you guys done um like astronaut ice cream because i think that's no 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 no. it was maybe this was just a thing by where i grew up but um astronaut ice cream they sold it at the museum of science and industry in chicago and it's like it's like it comes in a ziploc bag and it's basically like a freeze-dried ice cream but like it was such a fun candy for us, but I guess it's not really a candy because it's that, that. Yeah, that's that's when we start getting into like, is a mint a candy? Is gum a candy? Oh, is a but mint. yeah, that's it's a, a question for the ages. But the the astronaut ice cream, whenever we go to like the science center or something, I always want to get it, but my wife always has to be like, "You're not gonna like, like it's not gonna be good." <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that you just like get. Or the like, oh, that's weird. Let me try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember as a kid, I liked it, but it might have just been, you know, the conversation hearts again of like, I'm in a museum eating canned, eating sweets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Are there any Daniel highly requested candies that you guys get for your show? Um. Hmm. I know that Cadbury stuff has been requested, and. I think people, you know, I have some friends who want us to do like discuss like laxative candies, what? which sounds like, uh, you know, 
that's not, not going to be a, no it's not going to be fun for anybody but right. like it you know it's it, it could taste good i don't know but yeah i, I think people probably want to hear um M&M's, Reese's peanut butter cups, but yeah. those are so there's so many varieties of those. I want to come up with a good way to tackle that. Mhm. Speaking of random things that shouldn't be candy, this is such a like obscure <laughs> shout out, but can we just talk about the candy coating that's on name brand Advil? Cuz that is oh, delicious. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like why is that incredible? <laughs> Why am I craving Advil right now? <laughs> no, literally. And it's not like, you know, name brand Advil is more expensive than, you than know, the generic. Girls. Yeah. Right, right. But it's like for the luxury and the treat and privilege of having that candy coating hit your tongue for just a brief second. <laughs> so on our debate of whether or not mint is a candy, is Advil a candy? <laughs> I will fight for Advil. For some people, I guess. Do you remember that show from the 90s called The Adventures of Pete and Pete? Oh, it was on Nickelodeon. Barely. I there, there was, the yeah, there was a character on it whose whole thing was that he would eat those little tablets that you would eat when you had braces that would like turn your plaque pink so you knew what? like where yes, the plaque was. And he would eat those like candy. And I kind of remember those tasting pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I through, and I remember being like, my teeth are pink now. Yes. <laughs> Good times. Braces era for all of us. Love that. <laughs> Daniel, I know you're in LA and I live in LA too. Um, do you ever look at the candy section of Erewhon Market? I, I, there's an Erewhon near us and we love going in there just because it's so outrageous. So ridiculous. <laughs> Alexa, they have $25 bottles of water. Yeah, it, I mean they've got some interesting looking things, but like I'm not going to pay forty two dollars for a peanut butter cup or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. What do they have that is cool? Um, that you can think it's, of. It's mostly just like a lot of obviously a lot of like sugar free stuff, a lot of natural stuff. Yeah. Um, you know what they had that I had been looking for is like pure cacao that you can like shave. And put into like brownies or something. Right. Oh. And I can't find that anywhere else, but I can't justify the prices of Erewhon to get that. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, as we were talking about, you know, the kind of gross 90s candies and how that was very, you know, ubiquitous at the time. And now it's kind of all about the opposite and the... The change and, you know, the American consumer wanting more, you know, organic and fresh and natural things. Is that something that you kind of delve into on your podcast, Daniel? Or have you done any of these like organic, you know, whatever they might be candies? Because I know that's it's kind of hard when you're at the store to see like those, you know, like the organic Swedish fish. And you're like, you know, maybe I should just get those. But, you know, <laughs> how do we tackle that as a society that loves candy as much yeah. as we do? <laughs> well, you know, the like, uh, like, I, I'm sorry to keep bringing up Butterfinger, but when, oh <laughs> when the Ferrero company, you know, yes. like th when they bought Butterfinger, they wanted to like make it more natural and more gourmet and that kind of is what ruined it for me like i kind of liked that waxy oh. fake chocolate it was very waxy yeah and that kind of has gone away and i don't think it tastes quite as good but we we also tried um 
what there when we did the peach rings they because we tried like 10 different types of peach rings to compare them and one of them was those like zero sugar brand yeah it was so bad like it it like at the more you ate it the worse it tasted oh yikes that's Um, i i think i know the exact brand you're talking about the one that's like like marketed to people who are on the keto diet yeah i think so you can't have anything but you technically can have this yeah Yeah. i i think the natural stuff lends itself better to gummies and things like that yeah like like those albanese bears i don't know if those are particular i think they're supposed to be pretty natural but those are very good i have had good luck with the lily's chocolate candies but i i'm a dark chocolate person so yeah me too yeah doesn't bother that much (laughs) yeah and katie do you have any historical um reference as to why or how this kind of wave of like organic and you know all that type of stuff mania kind of came about i mean obviously we yeah. lived it so it's yeah, we've, lived it. we've been through the trenches of the organic yeah. world um i think right now um just speaking like as someone who works in food i think the organic movement as far as I can remember, started in like the 70s or 80s. Wow. And, I would have guessed like 2000s. Right. No, well, um, I say 70s or 80s because that's when like, you know, like vegetarians were looked at like suspiciously, you know, mm-hmm. like um, I think because a lot of people at that time had grown up in like the mass production um TV dinner eras of like the forties and fifties. And we're kind of like, there must be a better way. Um, but I think right now the current situation we're in, obviously like, I think cause Alexa, we're both like early nineties babies. Yes. Like, we like when we were in elementary school, that was when like the hundred calorie packs of everything came out mm-hmm. and like all this, uh, like zero net carbs stuff came out. I think it's just like, Everybody wants to be skinny and perfect, but not give up Reese's peanut butter cups. Right. And that's kind of where we're at in the world now. Yeah. Kind of having our cake and eating it too. (laughs) I wish I'd have their cake and eating it too, but then they're eating the cake and they're like, I don't know if this cake is very good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I know. It's, I feel like we just kind of yo yo all the time as a society of like. Definitely. Because like we went from, at least this is my personal interpretation of the history of diet culture, but. It went from like Atkins and then people didn't like Atkins. And then you saw this like real big surge of like veganism in like 2011 to like even now, obviously. But I would say like the vegan YouTubers era definitely uh, played a part. I don't know if you guys know much about the vegan YouTuber drama of like 2016. Do you know who Freely the Banana Girl is? (laughs) No. <laughs> oh, okay. Surprise. Um, Freely the Banana Girl was at one point like almost as big as like Jenna Marbles and Shane Dawson. Like, yeah. She's yeah. a huge YouTuber and she she kind of was pitching this lifestyle of eating 40 bananas a day. Oh my and God. And she was so like – and also like she was well-spoken and Australian and she wore bikinis in all her videos and was just very like – 
you know, if you eat like high amounts of fruit and blah, 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 you'll be skinny and perfect and you won't be obese anymore. And like, that was her whole spiel. So like that kind of led to this, like, it's crazy. And she led to this huge surge of like veganism and plant-based stuff. And now I think she lives like off the land in South America somewhere and she doesn't post to YouTube anymore, but um, I always think of her when I think about the history of diet culture because I'm like, really has a place in that. What yeah. place is, I don't know, but what a time, what a time. Um, yeah, that's I mean, crazy. I, it's, it's kind of interesting because I mean, I'm since you guys have been to Erewhon market, like Erewhon market definitely could like sets up their store, like based on which diet you're on. Like, Oh, really? I, I mean, I wouldn't say like 100%, but like when I walk in there, I'm like, there's the keto section, there's the vegan section, there's the sugar-free, but you're not identifying as anything else besides sugar-free. There's there's gluten-free, and then there's gluten-free, but you're not actually celiac, so you can have a little bit of gluten. (laughs) (laughs) They've got it all squared away. Gluten-free adjacent. Um, I don't know. I like, it's it's kind of hard because I think the at least the American food community, as far as I see it, is trying to head into this place that's like, you can be healthy and you can enjoy whatever candies you want without prescribing to a certain diet. Um, But I will say like the past like 20-ish years have been very much like about limiting yourself to certain diets all the time. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then it kind of yo-yos between that and like the kind of like love yourself culture and like yeah just have the cake screw it like it doesn't need to be gluten and dairy free unless you have an allergy you know it just kind of it's very hard to know like yeah. what the right thing to do is and it's it's exhausting but I'm glad that I found two like-minded individuals with me here today who <laughs> love and appreciate a good old processed candy <laughs> product as the good lord intended <laughs> <laughs> But it's been super fun chatting with you both. Is there anything else super important that I didn't ask yet? Hmm. I feel like I've said all the most important things I had to say. (laughs) Of your candy gospel? Yeah. I've I've laid out my manifesto. Oh, thank you. The Butterfinger Manifesto. <laughs> Literally, we've got a Butterfinger stand. We've got to like get you to diversify, I, Daniel. I <laughs> don't even like them. I don't know why I keep like I. They're okay. I used to really like them. They're just okay. All right. <laughs> they have an interesting history. That's what people really? say about me. I used to really like her. She's just okay. <laughs> they have an interesting history. <laughs> um, yeah. Put that on my put that on my gravestone. Literally. Um, <laughs> You know well, thank you both so much. This has yeah, been so you. fun. I'm like, yeah. I have a whole bag. I have a candy stash in the corner of my room that's about to get attacked after <laughs> this. Lest you worry. It's it's a candy night. I can already feel it. Um, yeah. And thank you yeah. both so much. It's been a pleasure and a thrill. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.